The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features ensure that you can take on any adventure. What kind of features? Well, how about the available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud? Or the standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together? How about available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone? We're always trying to think about those great spring and summer getaways, but with a car like the Hyundai Santa Fe, anywhere can be your next adventure. To learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe, go to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Tom Fernelli. That's Bud Elliott. That's Danny Cannell. I'm Chip Patterson coming to you live. YouTube.com slash Cover 3, where we will be at noon Eastern time on Monday. So if you're on the West Coast, it's it's breakfast with Cover 3. It's a lunch break uh, if you want to do it as well on the East Coast and anywhere in between. So this will be our new Monday time to join live with you. If you're listening to the audio product or watching us later, we thank you for that. If you're watching live or anywhere on YouTube. Hey, smash that like button. Just go ahead. Just go ahead and just give it that little like. We appreciate it. And of course, subscribe so that you always know anytime that there's a new video, anytime that we go live. We do have some football talk uh, coming as spring practice is starting to open up all across the country. Uh, We will have the Clemson Tigers in action. And in honor of the Clemson Tigers, we're going to have some fun in a little bit talking about teams that we think are due for a big bounce back here in the 2022 season. But we begin with one of the biggest headlines throughout all of college football, and it is the return of Art Bryles. Uh, Art Bryles will be the offensive coordinator for Grambling State. Grambling State is being coached by former NFL coach Hugh Jackson, and it means that after a six-year absence, returning to the sport is going to come with some debate. It's going to come with certainly a lot of headlines and controversy for his involvement in the NCAA violations and the sexual assault allegations at from his time at Baylor. Baylor University President Ken Starr was ousted. Athletic Director Ian McCall was ousted. Uh, obviously, Art Bryles himself was gone, but as a matter of technicality, Bryles was not found guilty of any NCAA violations. Uh, the infractions panel did note that Bryles, quote, failed to meet even the most basic expectations of how a person should react to the kind of conduct at issue in this case. And as the campus leader, the head coach should be held to an even higher standard. He completely failed to meet this standard. Bryles is back in college football. I I think that um, it's, it is worth us to be able to have the debate do you think that, as Hugh Jackson is saying, as Grambling State is saying, that he deserves uh, an opportunity to re- return to the sport? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm of two minds on this. 
Um, ones that at some point we have to let a person live their life again. Mm-hmm. And Bryles was fired by Baylor in May 2016. You mentioned the investigation, all the sexual assault cases. He's tried to get a number of jobs since. You know, He tried to get a job in Canada in the Canadian Football League. He went to Italy. He worked in the high school level for a few years. And every single time he's been hired somewhere, there's been a reaction. Like in Canada, it was immediate. And the Hamilton, I think it was, just completely, you know, reverse course and said, okay, we're not hiring him. At some point, though, like whether you or I are personally comfortable with it, a person has to be allowed to continue their life. And I think that, you know, people commit crimes and when they're found guilty, they serve their time and then they're allowed to live the rest of their life. Bryles was never convicted of any crime, but he's been guilty in the eyes of the general public ever since it happened. And a problem that you sometimes see with, you know, the the public and being the judge, jury and executioner is that we have inconsistent standards of punishment because last month. DJ Durkin was hired to be Texas A&M's defensive coordinator after spending the last two years at Ole Miss as in the same job. When A&M hired Durkin, there was plenty of talk and the hire was heralded as a good hire for Texas A&M. DJ Durkin lost his job at Maryland because the school found he built, and these are the school's words, they found he built a toxic culture that led to the death of Jordan McNair from heat stroke during practice. Two years later, that was in May 2018. Two years later, he's a defensive coordinator again. And there was some pushback to it, but everybody just kind of moved on. And it's been allowed to happen. Um, all of that said, I personally, I don't think Art Brown should be coaching anywhere. I wouldn't hire him. Right. Uh, that, yeah, that's that's a piece of this. It's like, can, can I speak for Grambling State? I don't think I can speak for Grambling State. I don't think I can speak for Hugh Jackson. I... I would not hire Art Bryles because I do not think that the schematic advantage that he provided during his time at the peak in Baylor, I do not believe it is as much of an advantage for it to be worth it to take on that risk and to take on um, the whatever negativity his presence and his hire is going to bring to my football program. Yeah, and and the biggest problem for me, like I second chances, people deserve them, you know, in most cases. But the problem for me with Art Bryles and the reason I wouldn't hire him is. Like part of, you know, being punished for whatever you've done is actually kind of admitting it or at least realizing you've done something wrong. And at no point since any of this stuff that went down to Baylor, let's be clear, there were over a four year span. There was alleged 52 acts of rape committed by 31 players in the Baylor football program. And if you read you read part of it where the the agreement was like the head coach failed to meet the basic expectations, etc. Another part of that statement was, quote, in each instance, when the head coach received information from a staff member regarding potential criminal conduct by a football student athlete, he did not report the information and did not personally look any further into the matter. He generally relied on the information provided to him by his staff and likewise relied on them to handle problems. His incurious attitude toward potential criminal conduct by his student athletes was deeply troubling to the panel. So ever since that happened, the way he treated it, he's never reconsidered. He still thinks he's the victim in all of this, which is why, like, I don't know, the the Hugh Jackson Foundation statement on it today, like the last paragraph of it where it's like, you know, Please remember that bringing these things up can re-traumatize the victim. Art Bryles is the one who thinks he's the victim. So that's why I wanted to hire him. And that's why if I have a son 
who is being recruited to play college football and Grambling is in the mix, that is something that I really need to think about. Do I want to send my son to play for a person who won't even look at his own actions and see if he can change and become better and humble himself? Because that's the one thing. Art Browns will not humble himself to anything. He thinks he is the victim here. And do you want to send your son to play for a man who thinks it's okay to hire that guy just because that guy wants to put together offense and win games? It's their choice. If it was mine, I'm not sending my kid to Grambling. Yeah, I, I agree with Tom on that. Um, look, they, they they called it, you know, incurious. I I think I'll call it like willful ignorance, right? Yes. I mean, this this was systemic. You, in many cases, were recruiting guys that other schools wouldn't wouldn't take, probably because those schools knew about behavioral and, and character concerns on these guys. And then when they got on campus, Bryles oversaw it. Like as as Tom said, it, are all those reports accurate? I don't know. Am I that crazy to think that a, a good majority of them are are made up or or, or false? No, I, I I think there's a lot of bad stuff that went down at Baylor. He oversaw it. it, it it's very different than a lot of the other kind of one off. Uh, not that one offs are okay, but you know, the, the the systemic systemic nature of it is really kind of what what gets you here. Like he to try to win, continued to play guys who were clearly committing rapes, and that there's no NCAA uh, violation found is not a clearance of Art Bryles. It is merely a reflection that NCAA guidelines and you know rules don't really cover this. This is more of a criminal issue or a you know a Title IX type issue. Remember, Penn State uh, was not eventually found guilty of NCAA violations for the uh, stuff they had with the defensive coordinator up there. Right? It doesn't mean nothing bad happened. Like we all know, really bad stuff happened there. Just because the NCAA doesn't have a specific rule to cover it, that is not clearance. That you did nothing wrong, uh, I'm I'm a big believer in second chances. But as Tom noted, you, you have to at least you know, be a little bit contrite and accepting no responsibility for what went down. And just that they were winning in large part because they they were letting these guys play, like which mm-hmm. were a lot of their important players, and they were recruiting them with with the you know with the foreknowledge of it sometimes. And transfers coming in with like allegations, the state transfer that are, that are alive, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm a believer in second chances, uh, regardless of whether you come out publicly. I mean, he did say in the first like round of comments, he did like apologize for what happened to everybody. There wasn't, it was my fault, hard line buck stops with me, but he did acknowledge there were some things that took place. What I think is fascinating is that Art Bryles became the face of rape culture on college campuses and it was a very hot topic at the time and so he was the poster child and like all right we have to make an example of why this can't happen i mean you remember the the hamilton tiger cats were willing to hire mm-hmm. him a year after and the outrage was so bad they like like nope i think we were going to reassess and we're not going to do it and i'll be curious to see if this gets approved all the way through but six years to me for you know, oversight and letting this happen on your watch and willful ignorance and those type of things seems like, okay, so like, let the man coach, like, let it, let him go do his thing. And then just as far as him being the poster boy, like Ian McCall, who you mentioned at the top of this, he's been athletic director at Liberty since 2016, just made a smooth transition. Mm-hmm. Like, here we go. I mean, he's the head of the entire athletic department and he doesn't really have to face any penalty for what he did. There have been other coaches, um, Urban Meyer, for one, 
that have had a numerous, you know, players arrested, mass murders. Now, you didn't know about Aaron Hernandez, or did you? What was going on? Not clearly the murders that took place in New England, but there was some really serious stuff that was going on in Gainesville that we never heard about. So I think if you investigated a lot of schools, hopefully you wouldn't find as bad as this, but you could find dirt everywhere. Unfortunately, it gets uncovered. And hopefully this helped some of that culture where coaches might've been scared. I don't want to be the next Art Browse. So maybe, maybe that was a good thing, but I don't know. I feel like he's been made this like and turned into such a pariah and an outcast. And he's just untouchable that I'm like, man, I'm, he's been out six years. And there's a lot of coaches on that staff, I mean, and son included, who have coached the entire time and never had to face anything. And you're telling me they didn't know anything? So, I don't know. I just think there's this – he's been pinned as the face of this, and he's the head of the program, so I get it. But six years to me feels enough. The other thing, too, is from the Grambling State aspect – like they went like all these splashy name hires are being made at the HBCU level, Dion and Eddie George and others. And then they go get Hugh Jackson and why not just keep the splash hires going? You know, like it's another name and it's controversial, but he can coach offense and you know, it's going to bring attention to you. Now it's unwanted attention at this time, but if he wins, you could, you could be onto something and maybe it works on the football field. And then no one, everyone will be like, yeah, six years went enough. Let the man have a second chance. So somebody had to take that stop. It, like you guys said, it probably wouldn't have been me. I don't know if I would have gone there, but Hugh Jackson's been out of the college game. I don't even, I wonder if he's even aware, which is, I'm sure he is. He's been brought up to speed, but I'll be curious to see if this actually comes to fruition because it knew like a couple other times he was, you know, attempted to be hired and the backlash was so severe that it didn't come there, it, you know, it wasn't, you know, didn't he didn't get hired. And I'll be, there's a lot going on in the world right now. And I wonder if Grambling, you know, is thinking, hey, maybe it'll just kind of fly into the radar. Maybe it will, maybe it won't. We'll have to see. And let's not forget Hugh Jackson is one of the people who tried to hire him a, long, a few years ago at Cleveland when Hugh Jackson was the head coach there. For the Browns? He, yeah. He was like, I can't remember what the role was. He was like some wow. sort of offensive analyst. And this was like a year or two afterwards. So, when I, I don't really buy the Hugh Jackson kind of time has passed and he started and that stuff is like, bro, you try to do it right away. So like, the, but you're right, Danny, in that he's been forced to wear the scarlet letter for a lot of people's transgressions. And I think that, I, like I said, I agree with you. You have to let the man get on with his life and he has to be able to get a job and support himself. But I'm not making that decision. I don't agree with the decision. And what's Another thing that's messed up about this is I can guarantee you Hugh Jackson and Art Browse are going to use this to get that locker room into us versus the world kind of mentality going into the season, which is just kind of sick. And to try to hold the sort of college football public, I guess, accountable here, I and I think that this might have been a Band-Aid situation where we were always going to scream when he made his return, but who's to say that he doesn't end up on a coaching carousel. Who's to say he doesn't end up as a... Oh, he's going to end up at a head coach. If they score points yeah. and Grambling does well, somebody's going to hire him at the FBS level. Wasn't it Seth Luttrell backed his way up off the hot seat? Looked like that team was going to quit on the mean green midway yeah, they were, season. There was and, interest that was there for sure. And by the way, after everything, like I know we say he wants to get on with his life, let him make a living. Baylor did end up paying him $15 million. Mm-hmm. Was that what the terms of it? Because he he filed a wrongful termination. Money? Yeah, he filed a wrongful termination suit, but it was settled yeah. out of court. 
I didn't yeah. know it was 15 mil too. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, the, the examples of DJ Durkin uh, and the, I was thinking of the examples of other coaches too, that have just been able to sort of take off ramps or been able to slowly work their way back into the system. Um, some, I, I am not into a lifetime ban for a sport, especially a sport that doesn't have, it's not one league, right? College football is just too widespread. I think that if, if you're able to pass whatever requirements an employer is offering, then I, I'm not going to say that he should be out of the sport forever. It's tough. I, I will. Like, I, I don't think he should, I don't think he should coach college football again. Ever? Now, if you want to go get an, it, right. Correct. Ever. Like what, what you did was, was pretty, pretty, Freaking bad, man. Like it was not just hey, like you know, one or two. You really can't claim you didn't know. It 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 was it was enabled, and it, it at, at the cost of winning. I mean, you just getting folks raped all over Baylor's campus, and I I don't think that like six years is enough for that. I don't think you should coach college football again. Now, if you want to coach the NFL, where you don't have a duty to like you know female students on your campus, or maybe you're just an analyst or something like that, where. It, there, there is a difference. And the part of being a college coach is that you do have to abide by the Title IX regs, you know, which involves campus health and safety. I, I, I don't think he should coach any sort of football where there are students involved, you know, where he has supervisory duties that actually involve the health and safety of other people on a campus. I think he, sh- he should lose that privilege for life. Even as a coordinator where yes. he's not the figurehead. Yeah, yeah I don't think he should be on a campus. How do you enforce he's a bad that? guy. It's just this, but this is just a morality, and I've I've kind of been well, yeah, that's it. it's, it's like you can't have morality in college football. We can, you can, you can strive you have evidence, morality in everything, sure. Chip. Yeah, you can. you can strive for it, but yeah, I just well, Hugh Jackson's not striving for it. Yeah, but is if you're going 170 and a 70, then you know, like we could say, hey, it's tough to enforce speed limit every day, but we caught you, so we can make an example out of you because that's really egregious, like outside of any sort of norms. So do you do you think that he will end up as a head coach in, in college at the FBS level? No. Okay. I think he might. How old is he? He's going to get Getting somebody's. Up. Somebody's definitely going to try. Whether they're able to do it, we'll see. Yeah. Mm, very interesting. All right. From uh, <laughs> from an, a very very fun topic to uh, to one. <laughs> yeah. Hey, may, maybe there's a uh, may, maybe there are some uh, some players who I'm sure lots of players listening to. Uh, the uh, the Cover Three podcast for all of their college football content during the year and in the off season. Uh, the NCAA has relaxed its marijuana testing threshold. It's light. It is recommending lighter penalties for positive tests. Um, this is something where re- this is a quote. Reconsidering the NCAA approach to cannabis testing and management is consistent with feedback from the membership on how to better support and educate student athletes in a society with the rapid, rapidly evolving public health and cultural views on cannabis use. Um, he also noted that marijuana is, quote, not considered a performance enhancing substance. I had always been under the impression that sometimes these uh, positive pot tests, if, if they become like a real issue, at high level college football and, and especially, you know, but I know you've been talking to coaches a lot this off season. Tell me if you think otherwise, when at least the suspensions, I've always gotten the sense there's something else there. Like the coach is mad that you failed this test because there's all these other things that you also are not doing. You know, there's a, a, a list of standards that you are not meeting and that marijuana was a part of it, but for the NCAA as a whole to relax its standards, uh, I guess does seem uh, in line with, as the NCAA is saying, uh, more of the public, uh, the public behavior around cannabis use. 
so the main thing here uh, is that this is not school testing, right? Like th this rule change for the NCAA does not does not like basically cover school testing. The, the NCAA already tells the schools, hey, police this how you want, right? Like have a policy, but as we saw in like the Mark Rick versus Urban Meyer years, some schools have very different policies. At Florida, it's like, or it was like first test, stern talking to, second test, like, all right, run a lap, you know, th third, third test, no ice cream, uh, you know, and, and on and on and on, whereas Georgia was suspending guys. However, at NCAA sanctioned events like college ball playoff or back in the BCS championship game era or the NCAA tournament or any kind of postseason play that the NCAA is involved in, they had some pretty draconian policies here. In fact, on the first test, it used to be under the old rule, you would lose half a year, right? This happened to Matthew Thomas at Florida State, Danny, if you recall. They had a really good linebacker, and it was always like, hey, do not get caught smoking weed at the bowl game. Like, bowl games are as well because it's technically postseason play. Uh, so from my understanding of the rule change, which would be what? No, no penalty for the first test. No penalty for the second test if you comply with the management plan. If you're non-compliant, you lose a quarter of the season, which I think is still silly, but you know whatever. Uh, it's it's a big step forward. These guys should not lose a half a year because they go home and smoke a bowl before going back to play in their bowl. So did you practice that's a good line? line. Was, I did not. I just thought of that. Yeah, my head, I'm like, yeah, it sounds okay. Off the dome. See, yeah. that's what happens when you've been smoking weed. Like those kind of thoughts come into your brain. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so uh, do you sense there's not, not going to be a whole lot of impact on college football then? I think we're just going to have less or fewer of these stories. Michigan State had a guy in the tournament that got popped for this too a couple of years back, yeah. if you guys recall. It, we're just going to have less of those stories. Like, this is actually a good thing the NCAA is doing, in my opinion. Hey, we don't need to spend somebody for half of their games because they smoke a little weed. <laughs> you know, it, it's it's silly. Uh, and I don't really know why you're doing this thing that is completely legal in a lot of the country. <laughs> Correct. Coke yeah. had an interesting note, though, on here. He said WADA considers cannabis a PED right now. And Shikari Richardson, the sprinter from LSU, yep. remember, she was the one who wasn't allowed mm -hmm. because of a positive drug test. Now, it's interesting that the NCA says it's not a PED. And then there's all kind of jokes about, you know, hey, like, like how it could be considered a PED or not. Yeah. You know? The only um, people who think weed is a PED are people who have never smoked weed. <laughs> right. There is nothing about the effects of marijuana. that's like, I'm going to run faster and work harder. It's mostly just like, yeah, no, I'm cool just sitting here. <laughs> what if you're a competitive sleeper? I mean, you know, that, there's, there's strands that can help with that, I'm sure. I think um, it's interesting, though, because it's, uh, you know, like a lot of issues – I've sort of evolved my views on a lot of them. Gambling, I mean, marijuana, um, even like the transfer. Like I used to be more old school, like, hey, you shouldn't transfer and you had to graduate. And, you know, if you get caught smoking marijuana, you should be suspended, like all of it. And gambling, we should never, you know, have that legalized. I used to be that way. And then, you know, you sort of get older and you take in more and you see what's happening across society and you interact with more people. Uh, and you see more cases that just don't make sense. And like you guys are saying, like, is it really in where it's 20 states where I'm sure you guys, I was just in California and you can walk in and you can buy marijuana just like you can buy a six pack of beer. I mean, it's pretty nuts. And the prevalence at which it takes place on college campuses, much like alcohol. And then you dive deeper into the, well, what's the difference between alcohol and marijuana and you know, you'd go down that rabbit hole and it's like, well, 
Why do we treat this one so much differently? Uh, and I've, I've talked to coaches about this. This is probably five or six years ago. And, you know, I had one coach tell me that it's it was one of the biggest challenges on his team was keeping players clean to make sure they didn't test positive. And so much so that he had a parent that was like, what are you doing? Like, my kid's going to smoke weed when he comes home. Like, this is what we do as a family. Like, it's what, you know, it's a, a what, you know, it's just part of our culture. It's what happens. Why is he like almost upset and getting angry that he potentially could lose time for marijuana? And it just, and I understand the frustration. So I think this will be a big sigh of relief for a lot of coaches. Like, oh, like that's one less headache that keeps them awake on a weekend or after the drug test results come back. Like, oh, geez, we got to have, you know, here we go again, where it just, it didn't make much sense. It was a little bit antiquated and just the way our society is moving. It seems like the NCAA is trying to move in the right direction. Maybe it was an easy win for the NCAA. You know, like, because really, they needed yeah. one bad. And they go like, here you go. We're forward thinking now, you know. But it's probably just going to ease a lot of stress from the college coaches. I, I think. Uh, <laughs> like yeah, I, that, um, <laughs> well, I, did. I, I think that was one of Charlie's strong issues at Texas, too, by the they're way. They're like, hey, like, what's the big deal? Um, what, were we, what were you saying, bud? I, I, I think that was one of Charlie Strong's issues at Texas. Caring, caring too much if guys smoked. Ooh, yes. Yeah, that's one of those things like it's I feel like a lot of the times coaches have rules where it's like no weed, but it's not so much the impact of the weed, although I guess some of them probably have some concerns about, oh, it's going to make you lazy and whatever. But I think a lot of it is just a discipline kind of thing where it's like, no, these are the rules you want to be here. Are you willing to follow the rules? Are you one an OKG? Like you're going to follow the discipline and the rules that we have set forth. Like the P chart. Are you hydrated yeah. enough? Do you have championship level hydration? You know, the the sacrifice asking asking your players to make sacrifices and not indulge in things that for the team. Yep. Yeah, that, that are gonna make them happy and that might be temptations, and just to do it for the team to create that what, Danny? It, feel, it just feels like a scene out of varsity. I remember yeah, in no, high school yeah. it was like, all right, no, none of us are gonna drink, no alcohol during football. And then you get to October, there's like a great party. You're like, I just one time yeah. have a couple <laughs> beers, you know. But it's it is all about like, and that's what the coaches want you to buy into. And you know, they they'll take it as far as social media. Remember, Jimbo did that at Florida State. It was like, hey, let's at least I think Dabo might have too. Like during the football season, no social media. None of us are going to tweet. Like it is about buying into the team. But then that becomes all right. Good, you try to do it at your school. Good luck if you want to do it, but it shouldn't be forced upon everybody. So it's a good thing. Well, congratulations to college football players who want to enjoy some of their time at the end of the regular season. Because as Bud Elliott said, <laughs> you're not going to jeopardize your bowl for smoking a bowl. With the new NCAA policies. Oh, right, you got to get that on a shirt. That's a yeah. good one. <laughs> after, uh, after talking about Art Briles and uh, NCAA drug policies, let's get into some actual ball talk. So coming up on the other side, we're going to take a look at the Clemson Tigers and some other teams, which we might see big bounce backs from in 2022. Next the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. 
thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at newbalance.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The Clemson Tigers are slated to start spring practice this week. They'll be out there Wednesday, March 2nd for their first practice session. And they begin what is going to be an ongoing flood of uh, some of the top programs in the country. Some of the programs we break down the most, uh, getting things going for uh, spring practice. Clearly, Clemson begins with the hope that they are going to have a bounce back into the college football playoffs. After being in the college football playoffs every single year from 2015 all the way to 2020, 2021 was the first time in seven years that the Tigers did not uh, make it into the college football playoff. They also saw their ACC championship streak broken as uh, the Pitt Panthers emerged as the winners of the conference and Wake Forest won the ACC's Atlantic division. So we've got massive, massive turnover here Um, on the assistant coaching staff. We say goodbye to Brent Venables, who goes to take the head coaching job at Oklahoma. We say goodbye to Tony Elliott, who goes to take the head coaching job at Virginia. Replacing them involves mostly a series of uh, internal promotions and reshuffling, but we've got a lot of questions at the quarterback position. We've got questions the offensive line, wide receivers. I feel like we mostly know what we're going to get on the defensive side of the ball from a player's perspective, though what life without Brent Venables is going to be fascinating to watch. So before we get into uh, other bounce back teams that we're excited about keeping an eye on here in the off season, I wanted to you know give Clemson a little bit of shine where that I want to gauge what is your level of concern? Not that Clemson will be able to return to the top of the ACC, but that Clemson has given up some ground against the other best teams in the country. What is your uh, level of confidence that when Clemson is playing at the end of the season, they not only have a double-digit win season and, and a record that looks good, but that they have a quality of form where if they make the college football playoff, you would expect them to be competitive in a way that they were uh, with Deshaun Watson or Trevor Lawrence. I, I, well, those, those are two, I think, pretty different questions and interesting ones, Chip. So I, I would say confidence that they have a 10-win season. I, I think there's a pretty decent chance of it. N- Notre Dame is, I would say, the only game in which I – could see them being a dog in their other road games uh, are Georgia tech, Boston college, Florida state and wake forest. So they get, uh, they get law tech, South Carolina, Miami, NC state and Louisville all at Clemson. They return a lot guys. I mean, they, they do lose Justin Ross, uh, but other than that, pretty much everybody else of consequences back at receiver and tight end. They return their top six uh, snap guys on the offensive line. They return their top one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Everybody who had more than 100 snaps last year, all ten on the defensive line, I believe, are back. 
So that's probably a team that's going to beat people up along the lines of scrimmage, which is kind of crazy to say because Clemson's offensive line maybe hasn't been all that great in recent years, but it's hard to see them getting worse with all those guys back. Uh, my question really is going to be quarterback, uh, receiver body type fit, like not having all the same type to, type dudes. Please find a slot receiver, Clemson. Uh, and and the secondary. like That's the one spot where they lose a lot. Nolan Turner, Mario Goodrich, Andrew Booth were, were good players, and they have to replace those dudes. Yeah, I mean, as far as like winning 10 games, I'm fairly confident it'll happen because they've done it for 11 straight seasons. And right. Yes, there's like this, there's this base level that most programs would be like, this is awesome. And that I'm just expecting Clemson to waltz its way. Mm-hmm. And then the actual number of wins between 10 and 2 and 12 and 0 or 11 and 1 is very, very small. But that's why I wanted to include the, the quality of form and line them up, not just against the ACC, but against the best teams in the country because. Clemson's not going to do itself any favors, and it's not going to do the ACC any favors if it wins the league but then doesn't look great, misses out on the college football playoff, or shows up to the college football playoff and gets blown out because it is just not um, not still at that high-level, best-in-the-country type caliber. Yeah, I, I think that along those lines, like Clemson clearly has plenty of question marks that we need to have answered, but I would still say they're probably the favorite in the ACC because when you look around the rest of the conference, Pitt's lost plenty too. Wake's losing stuff. Everybody's, you know, North Carolina lost Sam Howell. Miami, maybe they're poised to take a step forward because, you know, they've got the coaching change and they were playing a lot of younger players towards the end of the season. So maybe we see them take a step forward. But when you look around the rest of that conference, like maybe NC State steps up in that in that division becomes a thorn in the side for this year. But there's really no obvious team where I'm looking at the ACC saying that's the real threat to Clemson. I feel like Clemson is probably going to win the conference whether they do it with a few enough losses to reach the playoff, I'm not nearly as confident in. I would say that's probably 40-60. So last year they had Georgia out of conference. I guess they replaced them with either Furman or Louisiana Tech. Like, take your pick. So it's a little bit easier, I'll say. A little bit. A little bit. Non-con, and then they have to travel to Notre Dame. They've done that before with DJ at quarterback. Uh, lost the game, but still, like, we, we've seen them compete there. And then they have South Carolina – who in a down year, Clemson clearly down, still won that game 30 to nothing, and DJ only had to throw for 99 yards. I'll say this, though. They feel like, as you know, we've all been like, where's the, when's the dominance going to end? I do think they're vulnerable. Like, But if you said, hey, who today are you going to pick to win the ACC? I'd be like, Clemson. I think you'd be kind of foolish not to, or you'd be – trying to just find a flyer, you know, you'd be making a case for somebody else, but the schedule's pretty light. The talent's there, but both coordinators like Venables has been a staple there for a long time. Offensively. I think it actually might help them to see some new, like Brandon Streeter coming in. I think that actually could be a good thing. Who knows what the young quarterback, uh, Klubnik's going to look like. Maybe he, maybe if DJ is still a problem, either, because I, I think one of two things are either going to happen. DJ either figures it out, plays better, or they have a viable option to go to in a young quarterback that can come in and, and execute the system better. But I still think they're just going to have that physical advantage over almost every team. I mean, find me a team they don't have a better roster than on the schedule. So I think, you know, if you said 10 wins, you know, I'd set the oh, I'd take the overs. 10 and a half, maybe think about an under, but... I think 10's probably a safe bottom line, like floor for Clemson this season. And then it's like, 
all right, if DJ figures it out, the quarterback is figured out, he's good, then it becomes a potential like, all right, they're right back in the playoff and maybe a contender. Yeah, I, I could see them going eight and four. I could see them going 12 and 0. Eight and four. Eight and four. Wow. Sure. Yeah. Like if they don't play, if if they uh, don't do a good job of replacing the coordinators, um, certainly. And maybe DJ, DJ doesn't take a step forward. There there are teams on this schedule that could beat Clemson. Right. Miami, if they if they click, could beat them. Louisville uh, played them extremely tough last year. Remember, mm-hmm. that thing went yep. down to the wire. Uh, they could beat them. NC State did beat them last year. Uh, they're probably not going to lose at Wake. They could be a straight out underdog at the Irish. So I, I, I could see eight and four if things go poorly. Also, what do they have at backup quarterback? I mean, Hunter Johnson or Klubnik, most likely. But I thought the expectation is that Klubnik's going to push yeah. DJ this spring. The fact that he graduated agree. early and he enrolled in January, all of it was done with the idea that you know, whether it's iron sharpens iron or, you know, DJ is going to get pushed or motivated in a way because it still does not make much sense to me. And I am not a quarterback evaluator, but it does not make much sense to me that even the small sample size that we got from DJ, DJ Uyunglele against Notre Dame and Boston college that we saw very little, almost none of that same quality in that same form throughout the 2021 season. And so I, I can only, I could I can only speculate that it is something that is beyond just uh, in the physical abilities, which are obviously there for him. I'm also going to watch what they do post spring, right? I, I've I've long admired Clemson's incredible hit rate with their recruiting. I mean, they really do a good job, but they, they their guys turn out very often. Uh, however, they don't really oversign at all, uh, and they have not used the transfer portal, with the exception of Hunter Johnson, uh, who is basically a a GA. Uh, essentially, but they didn't have a GA spot. So like, here, come, come be a you know coach on the roster. Uh, that is sort of putting a governor on your own program. And I think that is difficult to overcome as other programs have more efficient processes, right, to roster building. Clemson kind of kneecaps itself for no reason other than what Dabo will say, which is like, we want guys who are all about our culture. And it's difficult for me to sit here and say that doesn't work because in a down year, they won – 10 games, but as others do take more transfers and sort of call and refine their roster, uh, it would not surprise me if this becomes a little bit more of a glaring difference. I'm super excited to see Will Shipley again. Got banged up, but that dude is very much like the the kind of um, all-purpose threat out of the backfield that is just a whole bunch of fun. I thought that when Clemson's offense finally found its feet, it was not with DJU in the passing game. It was really with the combination of Shipley and Kobe Pace, another freshman, and trying to figure out uh, some some interesting and creative ways to move the ball on the ground. They are replacing uh, some interior offensive linemen. And like we mentioned, just because you're bringing back a bunch of offensive linemen doesn't necessarily inspire confidence if the offensive line was a big concern. But I think that, you know, even without, uh, like, do you think that for your um, body type, your body type look at the Clemson wide receiver room, if you've got, let's say, uh, like Bo Collins, Dakari Collins, is Nagata back? Yeah. yeah. Got his back. Is that, does that give you, is that all the same body type for you? The shortest guy that returns who had at least 100 snaps at receiver is six foot three. Yeah. I was going to say, everybody's <laughs> like six five. It's six three, six three, six six, six five, six six. Yeah. 
Let's let's get that little five oh, eleven guy who can get in there between the linebackers every once well, in a what while. What a good idea for a slot to transfer to Clemson. Hello, hey, like go yeah. get a slot transfer. Well, that's that's what I, I'm, I'm sitting here. If you're watching on YouTube, I'm just doing the Will Shipley angle route right now, which is what it became. Was like you you flex Will Shipley out to the slot, or you run him out of the backfield, and he gets to use that little you know five eleven is his playmaking ability after the catch. That that almost became. Uh, your, your option right there. So I'm, I'm, I'm very interested to uh, any, any other thoughts before we open up this conversation to just bounce back teams in general, in terms of what you're looking for and what you're thinking about for Clemson, Brian Brzee as the best player in all of college football. I just hope he's healthy. Cause I love the hell watch. I love watching him a lot. He's like, he's the most Aaron Donald ish player in college right now, in my opinion. Good, uh, good ref. Do you believe that James Skalski was a, like, tr- are you going to believe in all the, quarterback of the defense coach on the field uh sure. well, I was gonna say like that was one of my key losses like you lost the offensive coordinator defensive coordinator and Skalski who's in the middle of that defense like that I mean he was there forever yeah um then I met like then you see him in person and you're like man he's like you can replace that right and that's like he's you a can great replace like, like he's great for the culture and the locker room all those things leader but like I'll like yeah, you I think, could. I think they'll be all right. You can I replace the physical. The yeah, you can replace the physical embodiment of Skowski pretty easily. It's all the other stuff that might take a little adjustment period. Yeah. All right. Uh, wanted to because again, it, it does seem like there is an expectation that Clemson will be bouncing back, if nothing else, at least uh, right back to the top of the ACC with a chance to not win its division in a way it did not, win its conference in a way it did not, and contend for a college football playoff spot in a way that with a nine and three regular regular season record. Uh, the Tigers were just not going to do so. Uh, so we've all got a couple of teams that we have identified as potential bounce back teams. Danny, why don't you get us started? Who's 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 at the top of your list? Not necessarily in terms of like this is my number one, but at least the one you're excited about, interested in. Well, uh, well, I mean, is there any team more interesting than USC? Because going from four wins last year to being at the latest I'm looking at the championship national championship odds they're the sixth best odds like they could be like that's crazy mm-hmm. I'm not saying I'm not saying you're, you're incorrect I'm saying that's this crazy it reminds me of when you see the Heisman odds come out and it's some dude who's never played I mean or it's either some dude who's never played or Adrian Martinez being like a top three Heisman favorite I'm like wait a second let's step back a little bit but I do like so what do you guys think is realistic? Is is nine wins? Like what's what's the win total going to be for USC? I'm over my skis. I think they can make the playoff. <laughs> yeah. So you're taking it. You're yeah. you're all in the. You're I, taking that cheese. Not, and let's go. Yeah. You know yeah not the national championship, but I I do think that we could see a, a real pop, and that looking at the data from last year, really removes the idea that your coach got fired in week two. That on September 13th, your head coach was fired and playing out the string. We saw the performances get worse and worse and worse and worse. You know, the UCLA week, I remember all the reporters, um, you know, all the like 24-7 sports, like the USC content that we get at 24-7 sports is absolutely the best in the business. And when all those um, boots on the ground are saying like, this is a really weird atmosphere at practice this week. Like they're late showing up. There's like not music playing. They're just kind of going through the motions. I, I think that the impact of that on their performance 
has me throwing a lot of those results out the window. And we, yeah. as much as like we like four win team, like Michigan was a two win team, shortened season, but they got things figured out, turned around, and they were a playoff team. So maybe this could be this year's Michigan story of worst to first. And I think it's interesting because when you looked at when we did the LSU question on here about the transfer, what do you think about the transfer portal class? I think we we're all like, eh, like it's all, it's thirteen players, whatever. This one though. Impact positions, you look at the quarterback, obviously, Caleb Williams, who I think isn't a lock to be like, I'm always a little bit skeptical. I need to see a little bit more than just one season where you came in late, you almost lost your job, you know, at one point, you had to play a little bit better. Um, But like you look up and down the roster, there's a lot of transfers penciled in as day one starters that have experience. And it's the talent acquisition part of it. So and, and it's in a weaker Pac-12 where I probably like I don't think like I think it's crazy to take them as a as a as a championship winner. But who else are you going to pick in the South? Are you going to take UCLA? You're going to take Arizona, Utah. Utah to repeat. But I mean, I, they're dogs. I just, okay, sorry, Tom. Go ahead. All no, right. no, go, 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 go. I I don't like their defensive transfer class. Mm-hmm. I'm not really that high on either linebackers they took. They lost a lot on defense from a defense that really wasn't all that good. I mean, are they favored at Oregon State? Oh, yes. wow. wow you sure? Oregon State, yeah, Oregon State no. beat their ass last no, year physically. They pushed them around. There's no way the market's going to. They're the dogs at Utah, cool, right? Yes. Okay. Are they dogs at UCLA? Mm, depends mm, on how that game yeah. looks at that time. But I, and they're I, dogs I, against Notre Dame at home, right? Yeah, probably at the end of the year, maybe. But I don't know what Notre Dame's going to look like at that point. But I think that, like, Chip, there's no way in hell I'm picking USC to win a national title. But I think that the playoff chances are greater than a lot of people think because it kind of reminds me of a similar situation to when Lincoln Riley first became the offensive coordinator at Oklahoma and then transitioned to the head coach in that, Bud, you're right, that defense is a problem. And I don't really think they've done nearly enough to improve that defense. But the other side of it is I look around the Pac-12 and it's like, well, find me a team that isn't flawed. And those Oklahoma teams, when Lincoln Riley first got there in Norman, they were just scoring so many damn points that it really didn't matter that their defense sucked because nobody else in the conference was able to score as many points as they did against them and win those games. And I could see a similar situation like that with USC, where I think it's I don't think it's likely but I think it is possible that that offense is so good next year that there's just nobody else in the Pac-12 that can keep up. So maybe they only lose a game, they win the conference, they get to the playoff, and then they probably get trounced by an SEC team. I mean, he had a playoff teams with defenses that in terms of mm-hmm. you know, we're ranking outside the top 100. Yeah, because like the Pac-12 that he's entering with these with this team is not all that different than the Big 12 that he entered. Yeah, it was the I think it was the 2018. Was it the Kyler? Yeah, the Kyler Murray. Uh, the defense on the other side of Kyler Murray in the 2018 season was giving up 6.13 yards per play. That mm-hmm. ranks number 102, giving up damn half a first. Not good. Yeah, not good. <laughs> you know, I, you, oh, it go is interesting though because Bud was like, "Do they win?" You know, at Oregon State. Like, what if he lost to Stanford in week two? Because I think, because I'm with, like, I can, I'm, I'm optimistic about USC. I think it's exciting. I think it's good. But there's also a, this could be, this could be a rough first year aspect to it too. There's talk like, to that's talk why to I start. brought them up. I think there's such an intriguing team to keep an eye on because, you know, Caleb Williams, if he gets it going, could be incredible. But if not, like, look out. 
Yeah, Steve Sarkeesian didn't exactly have that instant impact, flip the switch, and end up going five and seven in year one. I don't mm-hmm. I don't think USC is going five and seven, but you are right, Danny, that this is uh it's not surefire. Um all right, uh Tom, what who's a bounce back team from your list? Oh, I'll go with the obvious one, Nebraska. Like the greatest three win team of all time last year. Yep. <laughs> I, I I it's just I think that, you know, they've had some transfers in. Obviously, they're going to look a little different, like Adrian Martinez is gone. But I, I don't think that they're going to be a team that goes, you know, eight and four, nine and three. But I do think they're a team that could get to the bowl game. So that's a nice bounce back considering where they've been the last few years. But I think that's probably the most obvious candidate. I'm, I've got Penn State on this list. Me too. Yeah. I think that... Uh, I think that you've got at times throughout the performance last year, so many games where a little bit could have flipped the other way. And we would have been talking about this very, very differently. It was a, a three point loss at Iowa. It was uh, a three point loss at Michigan state. It was a four point loss at home to Michigan 21, 17, just nine overtimes against Illinois if we're going to talk about Nebraska and uh, all the ways that it spun the wrong way, if you're looking for a regression and, and the way that it's going to take a step forward, then Penn State, especially with the way that James Franklin and that staff have been recruiting, sure seems to be not surefire to – like they're not going to bounce back and exceed somewhere that they haven't been recently. They're not going to jump Ohio State in the pecking order in the Big Ten. But when we look at the Big Ten East and the teams that are the biggest threat to Ohio State, I think that Penn State is a great candidate to – to return to that level. Uh, they were four and five in conference play a year ago, seven and six overall. Uh, I believe that that is a more of a, a like seven and two in conference play, maybe 10 win team uh, overall in 2022. I, I think that's fair. Um, on Nebraska, clearly like if you simulate their season a whole bunch of times, the people have done this, like the, the, the odds that they only win, you know, whatever number of games they won in the conference is it, just, astronomically low they, they had incredibly bad luck in close games we know if one you, by the way they had one conference one, one win they scored the exact same number of points as they allowed in conference play that should usually net you out somewhere around 500 within a game or two not not one and eight however they don't have all the same players back so if nebraska first of all they will just get some wins just simply because of their bad luck probably will not continue most likely Number two, they will have to have the offense carry them this year more than it did last year. Last year, that defense was actually pretty damn good under Eric Schnander, I thought. But they're losing a lot up front. I think they lose three of their five defensive linemen uh, as far as snaps play. They also lose a good number of their DBs. So you go out, you get Trey Palmer, you get the uh, the kid from New Mexico State whose name I don't want to try to uh, – well, I guess I can try. Uh, is it Castaneda? Uh, Isaiah Garcia Castaneda from I New Mexico State? So. Yeah, okay. I'm not 100% sure either, but I'm pretty sure that's it. You know, he had 86 targets last year for a bad New Mexico State team. You get Trey Palmer from LSU. You get Casey Thompson from Texas. I think this team could have a winning record in conference, particularly because it doesn't play Ohio State. I mean, you, you get Michigan from the East. You also get Rutgers from the East, uh, which is uh, pretty convenient. Your other East team is... They only play two... two or Indiana. Okay, Three, yeah. yeah. Like you, you, you could have a winning record in conference this year but it will probably have to come because the offense got a lot better. I will say, though, Chip, going back to your Penn State point, because they were on my list, too. Like you mentioned, there was a few games where it felt like they were one player or two away from winning. 
It's kind of been a theme for Penn State, though, over the recent years. Like going, I only have the numbers back to 2017, but in one score game since 2017, Penn State's only 11 and 12. And for a team with that much talent to be have that kind of a mediocre record in close score games, because like you look at the other teams, Ohio State's eight and two, Alabama's nine and three, Clemson's twelve and four, Oklahoma's twenty and seven. It's like typically the higher talented teams win those games, and for some reason, Penn State isn't. Mm, is that a is is that just like a second look at James Franklin? I'm just saying, might be some late game coaching decisions that you got to reconsider. I thought we'd put that in the past. Well, clock management was the first, uh, yeah, game late game situation and clock management was the narrative initially. Then they got a couple of uh, wins where it seemed like that was corrected, but um, that's a little too a little too conservative at times, I think. Yeah, uh, Bud, where do you want to turn our attention? I will go to uh, Boston College, uh, a team that had a lot lot of turnover on the offensive side of the ball. For, you know, from from the coaching ranks, they they, they bring in McNulty to be their their new OC. We'll see how that goes. I, I know Jeff Halfley says he wants to bring in, you know, kind of more of a blend of NFL concepts. Uh, oftentimes, I'm kind of, I'm kind of out on that. I'm like, I don't know. Like, I feel like in the past, when you're like, let's go get more NFL style, it doesn't always translate to college. But one of the main reasons I, I want to hit on Boston College as a potential bounce back team is that they're one of those teams you have to somewhat disregard their numbers from last year because I do think Phil Dracovic is a pretty good quarterback. Uh, he played really well last year. Then he hurt his hand. They played Dennis Grossell or, or Grossler or whatever the heck we call him. I know we debated that. It's Grossell, right? It's Grossell. Grossell. Uh, he was horrendous. I mean, 430 snaps. Uh, Get his just, name right before we say <laughs> horrendous. He, he can't play. Uh, if, if, if you have above a, a you know a one uh, touchdown interception ratio, I'll, I'll work on getting your name right. Uh, but he was bad. And then, you know, Dracova comes back. He has a hurt hand, according to Halfley. So he's like 50% grip strength and really played his butt off. And they do lose some other important guys on that team, but you get Zay Flowers back. Offensive line, I think they should be okay. They should be pretty salty defensively. I, I think that's an improved team that's going to be much better than just their, their baseline projections if Djokovic can stay healthy for the year. You know who I had on the uh, similar argument to USC? But the coach wasn't fired, obviously. Was not fired in week two. But just, you could see it slipping away really, really fast. I think the Florida Gators are going to have a bounce back. Yep. I think a a simple change in leadership is going to produce a a very different final win-loss mark. And then in the same way that we we go back and we try to find snapshots, we try to find evidence of the players that are going to be there. Now, what from last season suggests that there might be uh, a different result, and I think it's that stretch where two-point loss to Bama. You're right there with that two-point conversion. 38-14, to 14, pretty decisive win against Tennessee. Then you take a really disappointing seven-point loss to Kentucky, a Kentucky team that went on to finish second in the SEC East. I think that in that early season stretch, we saw a team that with the returning players from that Gators team and a change of leadership, it, it ain't going to get blown out by South Carolina. Like, it ain't going to be having these what's happening against Sanford moments. Like, all of the, not all, but many of the late-season losses and late-season frustrations, poor performance, poor play, I absolutely, I absolutely do associate to the with the end of the Dan Mullen tenure. And I don't think that when we look up at the end of the 2022 season, I don't think Florida's going to be sitting in sixth place in the SEC East with a 2-6 and six conference record. I think that they're right back up there battling for second place with the likes of a Kentucky and Tennessee. 
Yeah, and a fun fact about Florida that kind of suggests it was its own worst enemy and beat itself a lot. In its seven losses last year, it outgained its opponents by 196 yards. It was, but it had a negative seven turnover margin. So I think if they take better care of the football and maybe on the defensive side of the ball, they aren't as predictable. Like, I feel like you knew what Florida was going to do in every situation because they did the same thing in every situation all of the time. So I think that kind of change could help. So take better care of the football, be a little more unpredictable on defense. And I think that I don't think they're going to be like beating Georgia and winning the SEC East, but I don't think they're going to be nearly as bad as they were last year. I, a lot of it comes down to how big do you think some of these losses are that I'm, I'm about to read off, right? Like Jacob Copeland, who, who's gone. You know, he was their second leading receiver on the year. Gamble, the tight end, who was, a, I think, a solid player, like not a huge difference maker. Rick Wells, not a special player. You know, Malik Davis, solid running back, pretty good receiving threat. Damian Pierce you know, was a good back from them. They do get Montreal Johnson, the, the, the transfer out of Louisiana there. Um, offensive line, they return a whole lot, and they lose what Stuart Reese and I think Gene Lance, but they they return a bunch. They took some transfers there. Defensively, though, uh, I I do have some questions about this Florida team. Uh, they they lose Zach Carter, they lose Valentino, they lose Newkirk. The latter two that I just mentioned were transfers in last year and transfers that were pretty vital for that defense. Uh, Florida was not happy with its defensive tackle situation last year entering the year. Uh, that's why they went out and got. Those transfers and those guys were were pretty big helps. I mean, they combined to play almost 700 snaps on the year. So, you know, to me, that's an issue. They also lose everybody at linebacker who had 200 or more snaps. Diabate, Tyron Hopper, Jeremiah Moon, Amari Bernie, Chris Bogle are all uh, off my sheet. Now, Britton Cox is back. He's listed as a backer, but he's you know kind of more of an edge guy for them. And they lose Kyrie Elam. And, and like I, I think Kyrie Elam is is really. Like he could go first round. He might be a first round pick. Yep. Like Kyrie Irland's a really good player on and and played hard on a bad team or on on a team that was having you know, going nowhere fast second half of the year. So, uh, I don't know. Can the offense carry them? Can can they? You know, at, at at a point in time last year, we were talking about about AR five as a potential like Heisman long shot. Like, do we take a shot on this kid because you could build the narrative of him winning it? Now he didn't win it. He got hurt a little bit and he had some real fresh moments, but I I could see I could see Chip really nailing this, but they're gonna have to be better on offense. I think it's AR fifteen, right? Because yeah. I remember seeing yeah. training one Saturday. Five. I was like, oh right. crap. I think it's DJ five, isn't he? Isn't Emory Tony five? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And then you've got Jack Miller coming in from the transfer side. So that could be an interesting quarterback battle that's taking place. I think Dan Mullen severely misplayed the culture. I think they clearly had a problem. I think it went back to the minute they lost the SEC championship game even further than the two-point loss this season because when he set a tone and they got smoked by Oklahoma in the bowl game, he was like, well, our championship was the – our season ended the championship game. And I've discussed this before on here. Then the next year, what do you think they thought their championship was? If you're not playing for the SEC championship anymore and you're out of the title hunt, players all threw in the towel. And then it becomes an exhibition season. So every week they're like, eh. Maybe we'll show up, and that's why they're in a dogfight with Samford in a shootout. And I think Billy Napier will come in, and he's going to have a totally different mindset. And I think it is one where motivation matters in college. Like NFL, it's on you. It's on, and maybe that's why Dan Mullen wants to get to the NFL. I don't have to expend energy to try to get my players fired up and ready for practice and ready to go. It's if you don't, you get cut. You don't make money. Now I think Napier comes in with a lot more of a mindset of, hey, every week we got to show up, put in the work. 
But I do think – so I think like those – like the Sanford game, I don't think that's going to happen. Like you'll take control a lot of these games earlier and just be more prepared to play on a week-in, week-out basis. Uh, so I think he'll nip that right in the bud. But I think it'll be interesting. The quarterback battle to me is going to be fascinating uh, with which guy ends up being the starter. But clearly the talent is there. So we'll see. Was it a backflip? Anthony yeah. Richardson? Or was it the dance party? Dance oh, party at the hotel or attempting to do a backflip <laughs> outside of the other. stadium. They're going to have to give him like a person, like a quarterback coach, like GA that just hangs with him to make sure he's not dancing or doing backflips. Like just say, take it easy. Uh, before we get out of here and uh, I, w- I want to make sure everyone, if you got teams you want to spotlight, uh, I got to highlight the chat here. Uh, MVP of the chat short round, always frequently here, uh, always offering good advice and interacting with everybody else on youtube.com slash cover three. He says uh, lobs grenade of Texas as a bounce back option and dives back into a bunker. I mentioned the Longhorns going five and seven uh, in Steve Sarkeesian's first season. I am not prepared to move Texas I'm not prepared to give them five more wins. I'm not prepared to make Texas a 10 win team with one off season of turnaround. No, but would you consider nine and three, eight and four season a bounce back though? Not for Texas. Wait, don't, oh, who do they so. open? Who, who's in the non-con? Cause I, I if, if they have a, a big non-con, I believe that extra, I believe it's Alabama. If they go nine and three with Alabama in the non-con, I, I consider that a major bounce back. Cause that means you only drop two conference games. They've consistently been losing four, five, six conference games. Yeah, their non-con is Alabama, Louisiana, Monroe, and UTSA. So three and up. You go nine and three with that. I'm I'm considering that a nice bounce back. Seven and two. Seven and two means you're competing for a Big Twelve title game spot. If they are doing yeah. that, that's a nice mm-hmm. bounce back. Do you think that Texas will? No. Although maybe I don't know. It's I wouldn't expect it, but I don't think it's impossible. All right, who else do y'all have on on y'all sheet? Uh, I've got one sort of off-the-radar one I wanted to throw in at the very I end. have an off-the-radar one, too, that I'm waiting to throw in. But I'll go with the bigger radar ones. LSU and Miami. I just LSU was a tire fire last year, and I think that it's hard. it'll be hard for them not to improve a little bit, although yeah. I don't think they're going to be great, so maybe a bounce-back year. And then Miami, I just think that, like I said earlier in the show, that was a team that was getting better as the season went on last year as it made kind of a youth movement and maybe a new coaching staff and some excitement in the program getting them hyped up and an ACC that I just don't really expect to have a dominant force. Like, but I don't know who wrote it, but I saw there was a 24-7 sports graphic about like the 10 teams that haven't been in the playoff that are most likely to have their first playoff berth. And like Wake Forest was on it and then C State was on it and I, there was no Miami on it. And I was just like, how are you going to put I did Wake not write Forest? it. Yeah. I was like, how are you going to put Wake Forest on there over Miami? But yeah, so yeah. I would go with Miami. Their, uh, their schedule this year. Now, granted, they do not have a great draw from the Atlantic division, which of course Miami, just for a reminder, everybody in the offseason, Miami's in the coastal uh, Clemson and Florida state are in the Atlantic. So uh, the problem I see here is they do have to go play at, at Texas A&M uh, fairly early, which we'll see how good A&M is. Uh, they do have to travel to Clemson, but their other games on the road in, in the conference are extremely manageable uh, at Georgia Tech, at UVA, at Vatech. Probably going to be favored in all three of those, in, in those other three. They draw Duke at home, FSU at home, UNC and Pitt at home. Uh, I don't think, if you had to handicap this off the top of your head, what, sort of in that same... Eight and four, twelve and zero range, like, yeah. like the, all all those possibilities are on the table. 
Yeah, if they beat AM, the hype train is just going to be nuts. Oh yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm all in. I want it. Give me, <laughs> so give, do me I. Give, give me the crypto ball. Knock now, it off. Texas. I will say this. Rambo was a absolutely huge part of that offense last year. And so was Mike Harley. And they had real problems in that receiver room as far as dependability and maturity, you know, guys showing up to practice, competing hard, etc. Rambo had 119 targets last year. And Mike Harley had 83. Mm-hmm. So that's you still got your quarterback. You still got TVD. So, you I mean, that's, that's a plus value look at the passing game, even if you're concerned about some of the targets. And you recruited the position well. But, like, I'm not going to ignore that they lost 200 targets. I mean, that's more than the next four, next six guys combined coming back. Like, that, that is a concern of mine. Um, defensively, I, I can actually see them piecing this together and, and being pretty good. But we'll see. Like, it's largely dependent on, on the transfers up front. I have one more for you. Yeah. Off the radar, I think. Washington. It's yeah. potential. Like, I think it's just kind of – they had they were a trendy pick last year to win. And then the whole Jimmy Lake thing, another team, you know, loses mm-hmm. your coach. It's probably a fractured locker room. Some of the guys probably wanted him out. Some probably didn't. Um, Kalen DeBoer, I think, was one of our grades that we gave pretty solid – reviews on if they can figure out the quarterback position in a Pac-12, which feels wide open. Their schedule, uh, Kent State, Portland State, Michigan State at home. It's going to be interesting. Stanford at home before home games to start the season. You never know. If they were able to pull off one of those, uh, you know, Stanford they should be able to beat, but if they somehow could beat Michigan State, you know, start off 4-0, they could catch – you know, catch some momentum, some confidence, and get things going in the right direction. But the quarterback issue was uh, was was very – it's a problem, which is probably one of the reasons that uh, they went and got a guy, who, an offensive mind. But I think they're a team that's kind of just sitting there, kind of flying under the radar. Ten wins, probably a little bit optimistic, but a turnaround for sure from four wins. I think they could double that total. Give me – I mean, bud, I'm, the neighborhood group chat's going to be blowing up if I'm right. Because I think are, UCF, are you doing UCF, this? Okay. Yeah, I think UCF is a good bounce back candidate team. They won six of their final seven games. There was obviously some shell shock after losing Dylan Gabriel. He dropped three out of four uh, right around that time. But I, I think that we look at the way that they finished the season, and obviously, like I'm not overreacting to UCF beating Florida in the bowl game. But that is one of those games where they finished in a winning fashion, and so to be able to. Uh, readjust in the middle of the season. I think that that's a, that is something that is indicative of you having a, a good depth, a good feel for your program. And I think that uh, instead of going five and three in conference play and finishing the season, I don't have their, let's see, and finishing the season eight and four at the end of the regular season, I think that UCF is at, le- at a minimum playing for an American Athletic Conference championship in 2022. I think I agree. I mean, they, Linebacker is is going to be a question for them. I, I know. Uh, I want to see how John Reese Plumley looks. Uh, athletically, he is really impressive. I mean, go, go back to that 2019 game against LSU when, when Ole Miss was still running, um, you know, running the quarterback a lot. Gus, at its core, when he operates well, is a run the quarterback guy. I think that he is coming back into alignment with that philosophy, and they are not doing this nonsense where they try to like get a Sean White type to sign with them and turn him into a passer. He's a, he's a guy whose offense works better when you have a quarterback who can run. Remember, the best offense he's ever had as a head coach. Now, as a coordinator, he had a guy named you know, Cam Newton who was pretty effective. Never but, heard of him. 
as a head coach, their best their best quarterback that they've had basically was um, a guy who was a corner. Yeah, he was a yeah. corner at UGA. <laughs> and he led him to the national title game. So having Reese Plumley there, you get Bowser back. You actually get some nice weapons. Uh, thanks, Auburn culture. Uh, Kobe Hudson, who is athletically like Kobe Hudson is a problem in the American. You don't see guys with that much juice, in my opinion, in the American that often. Now, you do occasionally, but he can really go. And the, the gamble from Florida, who I think in the AAC could be more effective. I, yeah, I could see it. Plus, he wears a hoodie under his pads. And guys, like I don't, in the bowl game, he was wearing a hoodie. And it's like, guys who wear hoodies, that's, you know he's fast because he doesn't even care about the drag. Uh, my my under-the-radar pick, now I mentioned this earlier, like I talked about Penn State struggling in close games. Last year in three-point games, either way, Penn State was 0-3. They were one of three teams who were 0-3 in those situations. The other two were Louisville and Miami of Ohio. But there was only one team who lost four three-point games without a win. And that's my candidate for the bounce back. I'm talking about the Toledo Rockets. They, okay. That is my team that I think, kind of like you're saying with UCF, where you feel like they're going to be in the AAC title game at a minimum. I think Toledo is going to be playing in Detroit at a minimum next year after a down season. No concern about Jason Candle considered as a candidate for the Miami offensive coordinator job. No. Nah. If he leaves, okay. But if he's there, no. Nah. Right. So Tom likes that he bet on himself and decided to not take the Miami job. That's what I'm saying. He can get a head coach job. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Jason Candle, the Toledo Rockets. That yeah, is. Tom, a- they return a lot, man. Mm-hmm. Oh, they're winning the MAC. That's my. I've yeah. Already, yeah. <laughs> You've already, you're already digging out your. Uh, oh, your yeah. I'm waiting for the futures to come out. <laughs> I'm going to be buying Toledo to win the MAC. Awesome. Uh, we will, of course, are, are going to continue to be looking at this. And that's one of the things that I really love about spring practice and, and really before the offseason is we start to zero in uh, on some of these topics. Is there a team that you think is going to bounce back or that you've got more questions and you want the spotlight on? Well, you could always just put in a mailbag question. That's right. We are digging in uh, almost weekly to the big old bag of mail. So if you go and leave us a five-star review in that review, put your mailbag question. We will add it to a future mailbag episode. We will be back again live on Wednesday at 1030 a.m. Eastern time. So go ahead and subscribe to youtube.com slash cover three. Uh, smash the bell to be able to get notifications if you need a little bit of a reminder or hey, just put it in your calendar. And again, we'll be back Wednesday at 1030 a.m. Eastern Time. You can follow him on Twitter at Tom Fennell. You can follow him at Bud Elliott 3. You can follow him at Danny Cannell. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. See y'all. to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance. Avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town and they brought the flag. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You're going to find out. Mayor of Kingstown. New season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount Plus.